Hey, everybody. Welcome to the new Conversations in Groove podcast. You might ask yourself, what are Conversations in Groove? Well, we're going to find out what your groove is and what a lot of my friends' grooves are. Like, what do they do? They play music? Are, are, they, are, they, are they actors? Are they in TV and film? I don't know, but you're going to find out. And the cool thing is, it's all live right here from Earth Tones Recording Studio. So, welcome to the Conversations in Groove podcast. Okay, so technically, welcome to Conversations in Groove podcast, episode one. Donna, with <laughs> my good buddy, the ubiquitous. Ubiquity. That's the biggest word I know. <laughs> it's good because it's everywhere. <laughs> As are you, my friend. My ribs, please stop. <laughs> so, We're meta, already uh, meta, going down a meta hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is my good friend, Charlie Hunter, and Charlie Hunter has become my good friend because he moved to our fair town of Greensboro, and I still haven't figured out how or why or how that dropped out of the sky. We talk about Witness it. protection. <laughs> so, so your path to greensboro in a really quick like five point general way you were born and raised in well you know i was it's a long story i mean i i led up you know born in rhode island but we lived on a school bus in the hippie days and did that whole thing and the commune thing for a while and eventually i grew up in berkeley um if anyone wants to know about that life or what it's like the, a friend of mine named Clayne Hayward wrote a great book called The Hypocrisy of Disco, which I highly recommend um, <laughs> if you want to know how people like us get to be such misanthropic folk. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, no, we, my wife and I, we were in New York and then we moved to Jersey, two kids, uh, and it just, we just had enough, you know, um, and so we we knew people in the area in the triangle and in the triad down here some folks near Asheville and I've always liked North Carolina and my wife we almost lived in Winston but uh my wife and the kids were driving through Greensboro and they stopped for lunch and she looked around and she said okay this is the place we need to move because the funny thing is it looks a lot like where I grew up in the Bay Area in the East Bay it's all the same kind of houses um, that's cool. And it immediately kind of felt like at home and it's been pretty cool. And especially now with, with the last year, I basically have not really gone more than a mile radius from my house. <laughs> I've gotten <laughs> to know it pretty well. I swear, man, as, as, as a lot of people. Yeah. You know? So, how, so speaking of that, how, um, how has the last year been for you as far as, I mean, I know it's been a lot for everybody. Yeah. But how has it been for you as far as, you know, what, how you've, we've all had to adapt in a certain way. Yeah. You know, in a big way. But how have, how have you adapted uh, as opposed to what your normal routine is as Charlie Hunter? Well, you know, for the last 30 years, I've pretty much just done laps around the country and, and even the world in a lot of ways on planes, but around the country in a van you know, flying to Europe, Japan, wherever, doing this constant touring thing. Um, 
And I never had a chance to ever be question why I was doing what I was doing because you get in that in that kind of a, a you know vortex and you just you have to just keep going it's like the hamster wheel if you stop you die you know <laughs> right. so uh but then I I realized like yeah that's a long time um I mean uh, you know and we're musicians we make lemonade you know that's our that's we course correct and we make lemonade that's what we essentially do yeah uh yeah and, you know, it just gave me a chance to learn a bunch of new skills, namely recording myself. Then that put me in a position of being able to record uh, instruments that I don't usually do. I spent a lot of time working on some drumming and, of course, playing bass and guitar, which I've done, you know, you have to do to be able to play this instrument. So I've been able to just make a living doing that and then a bunch of other things. Um, and it also showed me that I don't have to be on the road. So now that things are opening up again, um, I'm able to be a little more judicious about how I do that. And I, and also you get to a point where you're just like, I can't drive around the world doing all of these gigs, which honestly, when you're the band leader, you're losing money most of the time, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Unless you're one of the guys, which I'm not one of the guys, you're right. going to be losing money. So... It allowed me a lot of to do uh, almost a ton of things that I never would have had a chance to do in the first place. So for me, as awful as the macro thing is and, an off, and, and as awful as it has been for many friends of mine who, who don't have the circumstances of living somewhere like Greensboro where it's relatively affordable for a musician, um, for me in my own micro universe, it's actually been a really great uh, opportunity you know, um, That's to, good, to be man. able to kind of re reinvent, I guess. And I'm sure many people have done the same thing. You yeah. Know? And, and, and I know that, um, and I heard somebody recently, it's funny that you said that about the, about the fact of, you know, how much you lose when you're out doing it. not necessarily lose, but you know, how you're much exposed. Yeah. Well, and you're you, exposed and you're you very have exposed. to, when you're out traveling, what people don't realize is that you have to pay the band. You have mm -hmm. to put gas in the in in the van or the truck or whatever it is. You yeah. have to pay for plane flights. You have to pay for motel. You know, and you can yeah. try and work that all into your fees and everything like that. But when you're not out, I think you, I think you and I were talking about this last week, or I heard somebody talking about it maybe on another podcast or something. But they were talking about the fact of until you're forced to not do that, you don't realize how much money is outgoing just to keep you oh. out. Oh yeah. And 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 not only that, but a lot of what I did I did because I felt like a certain honor and integrity was involved and it was important for me to play all of the much smaller areas because I felt like they needed music sometimes more than the bigger areas did. Yeah. Um and they weren't they didn't always lose money. Sometimes they did better than the big areas, obviously. But I always, the whole thing was get the music to the people first. And unfortunately, uh, and I wouldn't have done it any differently. If I wanted to make money in this business, I would have made many, many choices that I, I would have made different choices. Right. Um, but, you know, there comes a point where you no longer really have the physical uh, resources, the spiritual resources to actually just 
I mean, you're looking at the, I was the driver, I'm the driver, you know, right. and <laughs> right. I'm pretty good at what I do as a musician, you know what I mean? And, but I'm also, you know, a good driver and tour manager and I do my, the, all of these things, the, the music is, is something you do for the smallest portion of the day. Yeah. If you're, if you're not asleep, you're working. There yeah. is no other point. You're driving, you're unloading, you're dealing with your merch, you're dealing with the promoters, and now with social media, um, which is something that gives as much as it takes away. You know, it gives you an enormous platform, but it takes away a lot of your time, and you have more responsibility because the promoters expect you to be really vigilant about promoting every gig. Right. So if you have a gig in, let's say you have a gig in, a great gig like Evanston Space in Evanston, a place called Space. Um, they're kicking butt, they're doing their thing, and and but you have to spend the whole day. Let's say you're driving from um, your gig before was in St. Louis. Yeah, that's a little far. Let's say your gig before was in Indianapolis. You're getting up at eight in the morning. You're driving to Evanston the entire time. Maybe you're doing an interview. While you're driving, you're also having to field uh, calls, and and then you're, for instance, like with Lucy Woodward, she would be in in the, you know, in the shotgun seat, do this post, put this, do that. You're constantly working the whole time, and then you're ordering your merch to be flown from here to there. You get to the gig, you're pretty tired. Uh, you show up, you do your sound check, you maybe have time to eat, then you do the hit, then you sell your merch after. You pack, you pack up all your gear, move it into your car, then you go and find where your hotel or your Airbnb is, and by this time you're midnight, one in the morning, and you repeat the same thing the next day. And I'll say all that to say that it's a blessing to be able to get to do that, you know? Right. And I've been around the best people, um, but you're exposed economically. Uh, if gas prices go up uh, precipitously, you take that hit. Hotel prices go up, you take that hit. If a bunch of gigs get canceled, uh, you take that hit. Right. If, uh, for instance, you know what happened with us at the very beginning of the pandemic when we were here recording, I watched. We had to decide to. Well, we're going to cancel. China just canceled, and we have these gigs in Japan, which were really predicated on going to China, and they had all of their economic. Uh, like it, it, we we were going to lose two thousand dollars just getting on the airplane to fly nineteen right. hours or whatever it was, and you always try to keep your, um, you know, you always try to keep your dates and 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 you really don't want to let promoters down, and you know how much they've worked to promote a gig for you, yeah, and how much goes into that, but there comes a certain point where you, you have to make that call. And so, well, it's like, how do you want to lose money? Do you want to lose money flying all halfway around the world or you want to lose money not flying halfway around the world and into this whole pandemic thing, which was starting, which we didn't understand what was going to happen. But at that time, we just made the choice to do that. When I, but long story short, you're just very exposed yeah. as, a, as a band leader. Uh, and if you're, if you're not super vigilant and you're not making moves that are always making you money, you're even more exposed. And yeah. because of the way that I wanted to lead my life as a musician, which I, I always thought the integrity of the what you're playing, making sure that the people in your band get paid first, basically making sure everyone else gets paid first and taken care of first, making sure the music is first, and making sure that the audience is also respected. Um, totally. So... 
that didn't doesn't allow you because most of the industry doesn't work that way. So when you decide to do it that way, um, you really put yourself in for a lot of exposure. And I'm proud to have done it that way for 30 years, but I can't really afford to do it that way any longer. And that means that I probably don't want to do most of the things anymore because they'll force me into a position to either have to do something that I feel lacks the integrity that it needs to have, or mm-hmm. I'll end up losing potentially losing a lot more money. Well, and and also like getting into all the details of what you just talked about. We could talk for three hours about just literally the details of that. I think that the general public, when they see you, like you said, you look at your 24-hour day when you're on the road Mm -hmm. and you look at the hour and a half or Mm -hmm. hour set that you play. Yeah. That's what they think happens all day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, and why wouldn't they? it's 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 all the glamour and it's all that because it's never really shown to them. Like, your schedule, if you wrote it out on paper, which a lot of times is literally written out hour by hour. I got mm-hmm. press at two with 15 so-and-so, minutes so-and-so. by 15 minutes a but lot of the it, time. Exactly. Yeah. And if they saw that and said, no, that guy's not really, you not really doing that. You know, they look <laughs> at all the stuff and go like, oh, catering. Look, they're eating. They're eating for free. You yeah, know, and, yeah, and that's yeah. all the things that like in a general public, you know, sense that a lot of people see and all they see is what's really all, all they see is like the glitz and glamour, if there is any of that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in reality to uh, of, of what you're doing and when you're doing, you know, the set and all those details that you just talked about. Yeah. They totally get lost because mm-hmm. they add up to well, it's like a lot of friends of mine, you know, that, you know, you hear people talk about like, you know, a, a, a addiction with musicians and stuff like that. And it's like it's not the it's not the two hours you're you're on stage, it's the other 22 hours (laughs) that become the problem. Right. You know, and the thing is, when you look at you guys running your whole show, and I was, I was amazed at that when we did, and we'll have to kind of go backwards and talk about this record that we did. We did a record in here a year ago, January. Mm -hmm. And so you guys came in to do that record in here, and it was the first inklings of covid mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. world it was in china it was yeah, in china yeah. at the yeah. time and it and was we a had thing. gigs coming up in china yeah, yeah and you guys had a china japan tour planned mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then at, at, literally as you were walking in the door you were maintaining that situation walking into a recording oh yeah session, yeah sure sure you know maintaining that situation on your phones you and Lucy talking back and forth about it, and the amount of details that I overheard that went into that, which I, you know, overheard what I what I did, but I, I couldn't yeah, tell you what those yeah. details were. But still, the amount of detail that went into all of that, and the thought that went into it, and the fact that you, you know, and and you're also on the hook, not only financially for mm-hmm. that stuff, but you're on the hook for the the sort of the 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 wreckage that's left behind of you know people who wanted to go to the shows yeah people who wanted to go to the shows and also you know the promoters and the club owners um they're they're not in this to make a lot of money they're working their asses off and especially the smaller clubs um that are these real mom and pop operations a lot of them are and you're talking about people that are sleeping four hours a night and they're doing everything they love music and they they want and yeah sure they'll have a night where they sell out and they do great but then they'll have another night where they offer more than they should have offered to a band that comes and doesn't sell enough tickets did not do enough to promote the show and they're left holding the bag yeah 
you know, and yeah. the band is on to the next thing. So it's equally difficult for, for them. Right. You know? Right. And I, and, I, and I think it's cool because out of a lot of the people that I do get a chance to observe and sometimes work with, you are one of those guys that I, that I observe being, like you said, it, it's about the music first, but you will go to smaller areas and play. It's like you're really about taking what you do and instead of making it this exclusive thing that people can't get to, you make it as accessible to the public as you can with places that you play, with things that you do, you know, making sure that it's not only, I mean, you do a lot of, you've done a lot of local shows here. Sure. You know, and that's the thing is it's not this thing of, oh, this is just where I live. I don't play here. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and to me, it's like, I, I realized that, you know, and, and again, meeting you and 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 knowing you now and watching that i think it's pretty amazing to see that you're that you're like that and apparently have been this way the whole time and you just never see it, it, anything from here from when you're right, not living here point. you yeah, only yeah. see what the print you know yeah. what 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 the press puts out and all yeah. that stuff so you well, know it's also different e uh, the ethos that i come from is that of you know someone who grew up on a school bus and communes and around <laughs> music all the time and was i was a street musician Right. And if you're a street musician, throw down now. Right. No, no, not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, now. Pick it up and play. And if no one stops, you don't eat. So it's like, th that's the ethos. So I don't care, man. To, we played with Lucy. We played a gig at the Albert Hall. And it was cool. It was a big gig with a lot right. of people, but <laughs> it wasn't the best gig I ever did. I don't even really remember much of it. It was just a big gig that you could say you do. I do remember playing on the street in Paris in 1987 That's with a cool. huge crowd of people because the vibe was so insane. Yeah. I'll, I, I remember that way higher in my mind than I remember what happened at Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. And that's not to denigrate that. I'm just saying that you should never, my feeling, not, not you, but I feel like I always want to feel like I'm only as good as my last gig. You know, there's none. I don't want to. And, and you can change what you think is important in your playing or what you want. That's always going to be changing. You're always going to be working on that. But you should always my feeling is just like, look, man, if you just told me now, like, look, man, the only gigs you're going to be doing are within a 100 mile radius of your home for the rest of your life. I'll be like, cool. No problem. Yeah, let's I'm down. Do it. I'm down. I mean, <laughs> I can still work on my craft and hopefully get my ass kicked by younger musicians and older musicians, help younger musicians <laughs> learn. You know, that's all. I've done all that other stuff. It's not, yeah. I don't have a, a, a need for that. But in, on the other hand, for instance, it's, it's, if it presents itself by dint of just the universe, then you, you do it. You don't hate yeah. on it just because it's it. You right. know? But it's also no, it's no more, just for me to say the Royal Albert Hall to me personally, and I know this will sound sacrilegious to people, but I'm a street musician. It's no more important for me or, or it's no more validating for me than playing at on the one or playing just taking an acoustic guitar and playing on the street corner here or going to a local laundromat and just playing. Yeah. No more validating for me. It's exactly. how, how are you being a part of the continuum of of musicians going back thousands of years, you right. know? Right. How are you being a very tiny, infinitesimally small part of that? And right. that to me is more important than all of the other stuff. I mean, and I can say that because I've done all the other stuff. Right. You know what and, I mean? And, and, Not, I'm, and I don't mean that from an egotistical 
bragging thing. I've just been lucky enough to have been in situations where I could experience that stuff so I can have yeah. it as, a, as an example to myself. You and in I the talked grand about scheme of things. You talked you know? to me about that too in the past, which I think is really cool. So that I mean, and that what you're talking about actually plays into the whole thing that you're talking about, which was amazing to me because you're talking about Royal Albert Hall. Like I know you guys go over and you play Europe shows and stuff like that. I don't pay attention to where where you play necessarily, but it's cool to me that, like you were saying, you literally played Royal Albert Hall, and probably the next week or two later. You did a show at On The One. Yeah, or even you know, and, the and, uh, next week later, we played like a restaurant gig in Southern Italy. Right. Like, a, really, right. it was just a restaurant gig. Right. Honestly, it yeah. was like playing... With nobody showing up to no. pay because Charlie Hunter's there. It's just a restaurant gig. Just, uh, well, no, I mean, they were because it was me and Lucy, but the gig right. was just uh, was just in a restaurant, you know? And, and, the, and the other thing, too, man, is that, like, you talk about your... You talk about seeing all those things, and I know one of the things that you talked about to me that we've talked about is the is the tour that you did with you too. Uh huh. Which was <laughs> uh, which was uh, I was like really like I'd, and man I mean I'd swear you and I talk and every time I talk to you it's one of these other things you're like hey man do you know that guy you know like and then just drop somebody's and you're not name dropping they're just friends ears you know and I just go yeah and I have no idea of like. People that you've worked with, or yeah. anything like that, which is which is fine. I, and, and but that's the funny thing is you were talking to me about that U two tour, and that was and you were playing at that time with the disposable heroes of hypocrisy, Michael Franti. <laughs> many people so may know cool. Michael. Yeah. yeah, man. And and to me, seeing that, and it was a massive tour. Massive. It was like uh, football stadiums. And you explained to me that what you learned from that tour was what I never wanted to do that for a living. Exactly. I never, but, but not to say that, I mean, honestly, this is like 1990, maybe, nine, maybe 91 at the latest. That was an incredible production uh, in terms of like theatrical. And which tour? Was that Zoo, Zoo TV? TV? It was called. In mm-hmm. terms of like theatrical, just incredible productions where you just have this massive amount of people on your crew, Everyone is pulling together to make this show happen, and right. it was, I mean, astonishing the 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 amount of now, how I mean, many guys, how many people were in your like that band? Well, our band was just we just did this this our show, you know, um, and it it wasn't my band; it was Michael and and Rano's band, and right? It was but just I'm saying, how many? It's just four of you. Well, four of us, and then we had a road manager and um, kind of a merch guy. And sometimes there was a friend that would come along to do the other stuff. Um, but I'm saying while you're on the stage, that's probably the size of half of a football field. Right, 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 right. It was There's massive. There's four of you. Yeah, yeah. You know. But there, but Ronald and Michael's thing, again, it was not, I was just a very small part of something that was about this gigantic show. And and the Disposable Heroes show was was it was a spectacle. Yeah, you know Michael's a really tall, handsome dude. Rano's this medium height, chiseled guy who was an incredible dancer. And they made all these metal sculptures that they would bang on and make sparks fly. I mean, it was intense. It was oh, an that's intense cool. show. And Simone, who was the drummer, and I, we just were really kind of in the background, just playing. And I'd switch off between bass and guitar and my seven string instrument at the time. Um, 
but you know, it was, it's a whole different thing. And, and it, I wasn't, I, that's not what I wanted to do with my life. I really wanted to get a lot better at music and playing guitar. Right. And those guys were not going to afford me that because to their, by their own admission, they weren't really musicians in that sense. You know, they were, right. they were incredible performers, but um, I He's was... He's a really creative guy. Oh, yeah, like, I totally, mean, I see, totally. I, I've read some articles with him in like tape op, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And when you mentioned his name... I didn't even realize he was the guy from Disposable Heroes. Oh, you yeah, mentioned yeah. his name, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I've read it. I've, I've read, and it, oh, and yeah. then it all kind of clicked. Brilliant. And I was like, He's a uh-huh. brilliant dude. Brilliant dude. And, um, you know, I mean, we made that hypocrisy record like more than 30 years ago, come wow. to think of it. I mean, we were How kids. How many did you do with them? Just one. I think I'm on a record of his called Spearhead 2. I think I played some on that. Yeah. Because I think there was some carryover from hypocrisy. But I left hypocrisy after that tour um immediately after that tour because i had just had enough it was time for me to kind of move on with my life i hear you you. i hear you oh okay so you talked about you mentioned your seven string instrument during that time let's go let's talk about your guitar sure and how i i I know that you're I, i know that you're a teacher and this is crazy man because i know that when i heard when i when i heard of you the first time was in a guitar magazine. I was the I was the kid that bought the guitar magazine every month and read through was, all the guitar. I was the magazines. kid that went to my library and just sat in the library looking at all the guitar and all the music <laughs> magazines. You know, and I would and so I would get the guitar magazines every month and I would go through them and I was probably I'd say I was probably t- maybe twenty two mm-hmm. something like that and. I remember reading an article with Les Claypool and Les was in a magazine and they had a really big record that had come out and they asked him, they said, since you're, since you seem to be on the cutting edge of everything. So in other words, everything that you put out is a little bit different than what you did before. And you seem to push these boundaries. What are you listening to? And what is, what is boundary pushing to you? And he said, there's this kid and he plays an (laughs) eight string guitar. Oh, wow. And I was like, and he said, but it's not a heavy metal. That was at the time that, you know, a lot of these like really heavy bands had come out and they had seven strings and things like that. And they were, and they were, they were using like the Steve Vai seven string guitars to, to play really heavy stuff. Right, right, right. You know, right, and he, right, right. and he had to explain, he said, but it's not like heavy metal seven mm-hmm, or eight mm-hmm, string guitar. Mm-hmm. He said, this guy plays jazz and he plays bass and guitar simultaneously and his name's Charlie Hunter. And I was like, what in the hell can that be all about? <laughs> and I swear, man, that's the first time I ever remember seeing your name oh, was, in that's that, nice. was in that interview. And then you and I, when you and I met, you talked about doing your first record with Les. Yeah. Yep. And that was in... 93, I think. Wow. Yeah, so Les... Um... So that was before hypocrisy no it was after it was after yeah yeah and the reason i met less crazy thing is we lived in the same area but the bay area then it was it was a big place and there were so many different circles of musicians but his original drummer was a guy named jay lane who i have known since we were kids and has always been the baddest mf right since we were kids he (laughs) and dave ellis who we had a trio together which was a trio we recorded the, the first record for Les, and also uh, the Blue Note record the, called Bing, Bing, Bing. That I, that was our trio. Right. Now, Jay had played in Les's band, Primus, um, previous to a guy named Herb. Who, Herb, who, who yeah, played, yeah, yeah, Who played in it, um, who's a good dude. And, and so, but we were on the road. When we were doing that U2 tour, Hypocrisy and then Primus oh, was next. 
they opened after you guys left the tour? No. Not left the tour, no. but... So we were the opener, and then they were the second band. Oh, shut up. They and were on then, the tour with yeah, you? Yeah, and had then no you two. Idea. So we ended up doing a lot of hanging out. <laughs> and we okay. played We played together a bunch, because it was boring, man, honestly. There was no... It was just, you know, you, you had really had to find musical opportunities for yourself. So we hung out with those dudes a lot, which was great. And Les has always been like a super mensch dude. Like, he always you know, has kind of tried to create opportunities for people that he likes. Um, and so he was starting a label and asked if we wanted to record on his label. And I was like, yeah, sure. And at that point, Dave and Jay and I were playing like, you know, four or five gigs a week, I think, in the Bay Area, just right. alone, just constantly playing. Right. And um, yeah, so he gave us the opportunity. We recorded in his basement too. He had a really cool tape things set up and he just said he's got great ears man and he's got a great mind too um and um so yeah so he kind of did a did that kind of solid for us and the crazy thing is which is totally unheard of it was called prawn song records yeah it was his label his label and years later like i don't know about 10 years ago he just called me up he's like dude i'm sending you something in the mail i was like (laughs) okay cool and i get the dat tape the master tape and I was just like, I didn't understand. I was like, well, what should I do, do with this? Like, he goes, no, that's yours. I'm giving you back your masters. Like, you now own your masters for this record. Unheard of. That's crazy. Nobody does that. Right. Nobody right. does that ever, you know, so. Well, because um, labels and like explaining that to, you know, like if people are listening or watching or whatever, like explaining that to people is basically a label deal goes, we're going to cut you a money. We're going to cut you a money. We're going to cut you in advance, which is basically you know, alone, alone from us. We're the bank. And in return for you paying us back all that, we own this recording Mm -hmm. forever and ever or however long our contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. And, 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 and so what happens is labels like, you know, the majors and all that stuff, they own all these recordings from 40 or 50 years Mm -hmm. ago. And when they become something that people want to hear, they're still making money, you know, in perpetuity off these things because that was the deal they they did. So for him to actually have a label deal with you, even though it was his label, his label has gotten to be pretty large man oh i don't I mean, I, is it the same one he put stuff out on that he label? still releases the stuff oh, cool. with like sean lennon on that i think great that's because I, I don't think yeah. he would have ever gone to an yeah. i mean running his own label i don't think well he would have gone you know to the thing label. is he he could have he he could have uh stood to make tens of dollars off of my record man <laughs> 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 right i'm gonna send tens you this of dollars. i'm gonna send you this dat back and it's probably worth less than the postage it, exactly yeah yeah totally <laughs> but did you ever i know when you and i first talked and you said you had told me that he had sent you the masters did you ever re-release that record well it's funny you say that um I'm the people who uh, administer my publishing, Roundhill Music. They're actually going to release it. Cool. So they're going to re-release that record with warts and all. There's a lot of embarrassing playing by yours truly on oh, it. Oh please! I was I'm like, sure. I don't know, twenty four years old or something <laughs> yeah, like that. So have have pity. <laughs> well, you. I mean, it's funny, man. I remember one of the first times that we talked, and 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 you had made a visit over here. We sat and listened. And that was the that was the great that was the one of the funniest things I remember about you is we had something to listen to that I had recorded for you and we listened for like 30 seconds and you were like, "Yeah, man, that sounds cool. You like James Brown?" And then we just started listening to music. And so you were talking we were talking about that record and you said, "No, just go to YouTube and pull it up. I'll show you how horrible it is." And we were listening to it and you and I were both like, that's not that's not bad. That's actually really good. Man. Oh, which you record know? was the it? The first one. Oh, that you really? Oh, yeah. Well, it's got vibe. You know, I mean, look, man, 
you're only young once and you can only have that young person's vibe once. And yeah. so, yeah, you're going to be intense. You're going to speed things up. You can really feel the testosterone or estrogen, <laughs> however it may be, and the zits. And you can feel the the like intensity, like you're, you're ready to scale the castle wall and 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 let the siege commence kind of vibe. But That's yeah, funny, I mean, it's man. just standard for... For young, so you got to give yourself a break when you're a young musician, and you got to give yourself a break as you get become an older musician because it's it's really if if I was gonna play the stuff I played when I was 25, that that'd just be silly, you know what I mean? It's it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so the um, so the jumping from that, and I don't mean to jump across all the other stuff that oh, you've done. Good. You've just done so much cool stuff, man. And it's like, and if, and if anybody wants to, you know, be bear wit, you know, witness to that, like you got to just turn on Spotify or Apple music or anything and sure. just, just type in this guy's name or say his name into your phone or say his or name go into to your Alexa. local flea market and find some cassette tapes. <laughs> right, cassettes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and there's so much stuff and that's the coolest thing to me, man, is that you switch gears really like on the fly and i mean i've i i watch you do it in a short amount of time like switching gears with ensembles that you play with with what your playing situation is and i know that that recently you've gotten up with sam mm -hmm. and sam is i've known sam since he was a kid since he's like yeah, 14 sam, sam frybush sam frybush hammond organist yeah. yeah and so he's got this trio with you now where you're just playing guitar sure yeah and it's not your thing. No. You know, and yeah. that's amazing to me, man, that you shift that gear like that. And I mean, it's not that you, you know, obviously if you play this, it's not that you forget how to play guitar, but no. playing guitar or playing bass and a thing like that, it's like your, your mind and how it works together with your instrument is, is I watch it and I can't. I, I just look and I just go, man, I, there's just no sense. In, <laughs> there's no sense in trying to, you know, I understand feel the, it. I feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, you know, to your broader point, I, I mean, the way I see it is, is it's just a, there's just a continuum. If you get if you get try to get somewhere on this instrument, it's important that you don't smash it on the table. But it's important <laughs> that you um, you really have to study bass. You really have to study guitar, which wasn't horrible for me because i came from a real guitar centric background right surrounded by great guitar and guitar players all the time um but you have to understand drums as well you, you really have to understand and you have to do a really deep dive into all of those different things so it's part of a continuum in terms of like six string guitar it's not a technical it's not a it's so technically, it's half, I don't know if you put numerical values on it, but it's just not as difficult as this technically. And no way. It's, it's, it's much easier to play in tune. It's much easier to just play. Um, and in an organ situation, which I've listened to so many organ records or and, and base a lot of what I do on this from that, um, I kind of know what's the appropriate position to be in. Uh, and you know, it's like, oh, okay, so now I'm playing like solos and it's much easier to do it. It's a whole thing I don't even do on this instrument because it's just too hard in, right. in many ways. But um, th it's been great. And, uh, you know, also playing bass, just playing regular bass on records, which I do a lot for people is because I, I'll, my only agenda is just like, how do I do what's appropriate for this situation? 
you know? Yeah. Um, and if, it, you know, and the same with drums, just like, okay, I got good time and a good feel, Put the we'll put the click on. I'm not going to play any fills or anything, but I'm going to give you enough for, maybe I'll play through the whole tune or maybe you'll get enough for four bars and that's appropriate for right, right. now. So right. it's all part of a continuum, you know? And, and the less intense I get about this instrument, the better I sound when I come to play it. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, because man. I'm I'm expecting less from it. For instance, this Kurt Elling record that I had the um fortune to kind of be a part of and, and produce. Yeah, uh, tell with, me about that. Well we I went up to ass. Richmond, Virginia. There's this band I really love now called Butcher Brown. Great bunch of guys and great players individually and as a band. Uh, and originally, you know, Brian, who's Kurt's manager, approached me like, hey, we want, we would love you to produce Kurt's next record. You know, it'd be great if it could be a kind of a funkier thing with, you know, some more of that vibe on it. And I was like, okay, well, it's like, I don't have to do this stuff. Like, I, I, I'm doing this because I want to. So I'm going to tell you how I'd want to do this, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a band in Richmond, Virginia. I want to just record them and then put... Kurt on it later because of COVID. We couldn't, you know, to travel. This was like in October, so it was really at the height. Um, and um, and I didn't want to play on it. I just wanted to produce it. But they were like, "Now we want you to play on it." So it's okay. You know, that's it's not a chore because I love playing with those guys. So Corey Fonville, who's a fantastic drummer, um, and uh, DJ Harrison, who's a great keyboard player he actually also plays with um mike taylor locally he comes down to oh yeah his golden messenger guy he plays with him a bunch i got um, but uh you know dj he also is an incredible drummer and producer and you know so we just went and played the three of us wrote a ton of stuff and then i, I took it to a studio in um champaign urbana illinois and kurt we were there for two weeks kurt put his vocals on it and we mixed everything but all, I didn't take any solos on my instrument on that at all. I just was laying it down with the guys. And to me, there's nothing more satisfying on this instrument than doing that, than just laying it down, right. comping, doing, laying down the bass and comping the guitar at the same time, simple parts working together that has, have a good feel. You know, That's very gratifying. And like I said, when I'm doing this right, you don't notice. Now, when you were, <laughs> when you were cutting that, were you... You were cutting that with the intention that vocals were going to be added. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you kind of knew the one thing, I mean, not the one thing, but I, a lot of what I watch you do is I, I watch you know what not to do. And, yeah. And, well, hopefully. And where to, and <laughs> hopefully 75% well, of the time. Right, all right. Well, I'm saying, but to also where to leave pockets, like working with a singer, mm -hmm. like how to work with a singer. Like, this is not my time to show off. Like you're talking about doing right. a whole record of literally no solos, mm -hmm. you know, no like, hey, look at me, because you're making this bed for for this, yeah. this singer. Yeah, yeah. You and know? also the look at me sections with that record is just the groove. It's just sometimes yeah. we lay into grooves that are just so disgusting. It's just like, I don't, any solo over this is just dumb. Why right. bother? I know, it's right? Just, it'll just detract <laughs> from the grease and the dirtiness, you know? Okay, um, so let's go backwards about your guitar. Because one thing we talked about earlier is I was going to ask you, I want to know where and in time where this clicked in your head to go like, okay, because I take it that you were a guitar player. And you, you basically 
were you you basically knew how to walk your bass lines on six string guitar and comp and and all this on that. Mm-hmm. And then where does that idea come into your head to say, I want an instrument to where half of it because it's not as if it's not as if this instrument is tuned like a standard guitar and just the bottom three strings are bass strings. That's no. not there. There, there's literally like three strings of a bass on your six string, yeah, and three strings of a guitar, more or less, yeah, right. Yeah. But they're not. But but so essentially, because it is three and three on that. Yeah, one, it's right? three and three. Okay. When I played seven, it was three and four, and eight was three and five. But really okay. the same thing. And I, as I got older, I just realized, like, well, I don't want or need that much guitar range. It's just getting in the way and it just makes me think, oh, now I have to play something nifty. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then now that I'm playing a lot of regular old six string guitar with people, I just get that urge out and I do it. And I come to this instrument and it's just, I don't have that need anymore. Right. You know, so I can get down to brass tacks. So where did that come in with, with this, this thing with the two, cause it's got two outputs on it. Yeah. One goes to a bass amp, one goes yeah. to a guitar amp. So yeah. explain where, in your brain, that click sure. and where that idea came about. Sure. Okay. Well, it's 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 kind of again, it's a long, uh, slow process, long kind of evolution. I mean, it started as a street musician. I was really into Joe Pass and Tuck Andrus, uh, people who did a lot of that um, very self-contained way of playing guitar. You know, um, and I studied the hell out of that. And I got pretty proficient at that style. I hadn't quite developed anything of my own on it yet. I mean, I think even when you're a kid, you do have your own touch and your own kind of sound, but it, it takes you a while to develop out of out from your kind of idols, from the people that you learn the most. It takes a while to develop out of that into what you're going to be, right. you know. Um, and I was a street musician in Europe for like three or four years, uh, and I got back to, at one point I was just like, okay, okay, I need to take, I need to go back to California. I went to junior college, uh, at Laney in Oakland, which was great to learn, um, arranging and all of just that kind of stuff. There's a guy named Elvo DeMonte there who just was a fantastic teacher of theory and arranging. I mean, this is a junior college and it was fantastic. And the guy named Ed Kelly, who's a brilliant pianist and, and organist, also you could learn from a great community of people. So I went there to learn more and then I realized like man I've been playing a lot of bass and a lot of guitar and I and drums and I was like I really want to take this to another level with the low end and because I was a street musician and I always wanted to be self-contained and self-sufficient and be able to make it if you threw me out on the street I'd be fine you know what I mean no problem I'll be good you know yeah yeah, yeah. and um and then I heard about, you know, okay, so people do, this is like 1989, right? The people, there aren't, these instruments don't really exist. There was a seven string because of George Van Epps, who was kind of the guy, you know, Van Epps and the Pizzarellis did a lot of this kind of seven string where they would put a low A on the instrument. Um, but, you know, Brazil has a, a seven string guitar, but it, it's tuned differently and used for a whole different purpose, more of like playing kind of trombone style lines with chords on top within specific Brazilian music. Um, but the guitar didn't really exist. There was like a Gretsch, uh, uh, George Van Epps model in LA at the time for $2,000. And I was in Northern California. It's like, I don't have $2,000. <laughs> I can't, have been two million I can't that do time. that. Yeah. For a guy that was just a street musician who was like working like as a furniture mover, like, I don't have that money. <laughs> so, um, Subway Guitars in Berkeley, which is a real 
kind of a hub of, of a lot of, uh, you know, social activism and, and guitar and, and culture. Uh, there was a guy, they had a uh, fat dogs, the name of the guy who runs the place had an old <laughs> Vega guitar, arch top guitar that was cheap and had a really wide neck on it. And so they took it and turned it into a seven string for me. And that was the first one that I had. Okay. I played that for, I think a year, a year, maybe two years. Uh, and then I, yeah, probably a couple years. And I got very proficient at that tuning with the regular guitar, but with a low A on it. Um, so it was basically six six guitar strings right. tuned normal. And then, and then, then low the low a, string, a low, instead of being a B, it was an A. It's an A. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I got pretty good at that tuning. Um, in fact, that Les Claypool record is that tuning, the record I made for Letty. Is it that guitar? Some of the tracks, yeah. Um, but then I met a guy named Ralph Novak who was... Um, who I knew through my mom because she repaired guitars. And he was, I he was kind so of like cool, the man. guy in the Bay Area that, because he'd come from New York and he was kind of like the badass luthier guy. And um, he had started to reinvestigate this Renaissance concept of frets that were fanned because there's so much goes into guitar, right? It's not just uh, the, the, the scale length itself it's not just the string gauge, uh, it's both of those things, right? So I think in the Renaissance, they were really limited with the strings. They just guts, you know, famously, especially as you get high, famously impossible to intonate. So I think of the way they got around that was by they had this compensated fret thing where the lower you go, the longer the string gets. But Ralph right. really took that to an entirely other level uh, with all the math that he did. Um, and he told me, hey, what you're doing, I think I could make you a really cool guitar that would actually work a lot better. So he made me the first one I had. I don't even remember what the scale lengths were on it, honestly. But I, One of the really crazy ones? Or was this like no. an archaic version of what became those Novak no, guitars? No, it was pretty, pretty close. That's I mean, cool. Yeah, it was not that. I mean, And was that honest, the first one that he had ever made in that with that fan fret concept? With seven. No, because he was making fan fret guitars. But he was making... Because again, Leo Fender is such a genius that everyone is addicted to what he did because it's, you know, it's hard to improve on that in terms exactly. of an electric guitar. But what he did was he was making um, uh, retrofitted necks for Strats and, and Tellys that had the fan frets with oh, an accompanying I had bridge. No idea. That's right? crazy. Yeah, um, and uh, you remember Jordan Rose who came here and played yeah, the great yeah, drummer? Yeah, so yeah, he plays yeah. with a guy named Joe Lewis Walker, and Joe Lewis Walker yeah, was one Joe of the Lewis first Walker. guys to play one of Ralph's guitars. Really? Yep. And, um, but so, isn't he more like a, he's not like a jazz guy, is he? No, he'd play anything, really, but but at that time, he just loved the way they felt. But it wasn't an extreme fan. I mean, the strats and tellies that Ralph made were maybe like, 26 to 25 maybe it was one inch fan you know but it, it makes a difference um but it basically elongated the top scale as uh, opposed to yeah the lower string gets longer more surface area right right just like a piano gotcha so anyway he made me that guitar and it was a good it was a telly bot thin line telly body not unlike this um with a bartolini pickup that could be split four and three and two outputs on it. And that's the guitar that I played when I was uh, in Hypocrisy. And I played it on that Les Claypool, the record I made with Les Claypool. That's cool. Now, as time went on, I kept wanting to push it a little more. 
And I think in some ways I kind of made a mistake in going with the eighth string because I wanted it to have like full bass and guitar range. Um, now, at this time with the other ones that you're talking about moving from to this eight string thing, did those have two outputs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, and was that your thing or was that his thing or a combination of both? Like, I just said I, I wanted need- to do something that had two outputs because I was doing so much with, a, with just a trio and I needed a bass amp and a guitar amp Okay, to accomplish it. Um, and... Uh, he just made it happen. And then we've kind of been improve, improving because I've spent so many years uh, kind of R&Ding this stuff on a nightly basis. Oh, you yeah. know? Um, and the stuff we're making at Hybrid now is really like we kind of have nailed it. But basically like Ralph set the groundwork for all of this stuff with the fan frets. And we still pay him a royalty for the, oh, that's the fan. So cool. Even, you know, because that's he so deserves cool, it, man. you know. That's so cool. Because he started the whole, the whole thing. But... Um, but yeah, really, then I started doing that eight string thing, which is what it, the instrument I played on those blue note records and and um you know uh in some ways, I wish that I had stayed with the original seven tuning because it just would have made things a little easier. But I think when you're young, you really want to just be like you want to be king of shit mountain no matter what, you know. So I figured only oh, <laughs> put as many strings as I can on this. But and you we'll gotta just push go. it, man. We'll I see mean, what and, happens. And, you know and the thing I mean? is, yeah. when you did when like and, and the other thing too, like talking about like just the two outputs because I'm thinking all the mechanics of the guitar, you know, yeah, and all this is yeah. like it wasn't just slapping two outputs on it. I mean, he had to split the pickups. I mean, I'm sure that was it's a tricky. massive. It's been a real tricky thing, and and through the years, the pickups have been the trickiest as in some ways the trickiest aspects. I mean, getting scale lengths right is is tricky too because and where you have the the perpendicular fret, there's so many things that go into it. I'm not a math guy at all. Um, I have other people do the killing. You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> yeah, but totally. Basically, I realized that if you have more than a three-inch differential between the lowest and the highest string, you're going to run into issues with uh, intonation. Not because the guitar is is on paper, it's perfectly intonated. In right. perfectly is in quotes because that's meaningless actually. Right. But um, <laughs> right. Well, you have to have if you if you get like a four-inch. F- fan or whatever you kind of have to have i think you have to have like four-wheel drive fingers to be able to execute oh. but this is great this is like a two and a half inch and then the long scale one is like a three inch and i think three is about as much as as you can get away with and the other crazy thing is if i had gone with a higher string instead of a lower string and done taken a more lenny bro kind of approach mm-hmm. it would have been much easier because as you know, as an engineer, the lower you go, the more wattage you need, the more surface area you need, the more problematic things become. The sound waves get much larger, oh, man. actually physically bigger, which which cause and they just eat up bandwidth. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know what's funny is like, which this, I like, and yeah, I know yeah, you're sure. like a bass guy too, right? Sure. So it's just like cram all the bass you can to everything yeah, yeah. you know and then you get the record and you're kind of like oh that might be too much bass exactly <laughs> but you know i but, see what you're saying but this is like look the difference between let's say if you have a high e string at 25 and a half the difference between a 25 and a half and 26 and a half e string is massive oh yeah the difference between a 30 inch low e string and a 31 inch low e string is negligible 
Do you see what I'm saying? I because see what you're as saying. you as you understand, it's exponential as you go down, right? Yeah. So yeah. to get that, you'd really have to go like from 30 to 32 or 33, even, you know, to yeah. feel that enough of a difference to make it feel like, oh, okay, this is well. Really and you what's guys are on. dealing with with that instrument, and I never, I didn't really realize it until you know we had done a lot of stuff in here, and then you know I, I you kind of like watching you play this stuff, even from a layman standpoint is mind numbing, but from a, you know, guitar player, you know, not touting myself as a guitar player from a guitar player standpoint, watching this and trying to, trying to decode it and then realizing like slowly how the instrument works. Like, Oh, okay, here's how this works. And here's how these strings are tuned. The one thing that never comes into play in my head until you explained it to me was the tension Yeah. on this thing. Yeah. 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 You know, is that your, your, your tension on that neck, like you can only tune it to, you know, you can tune it to a certain you can tune it to a certain thing, and then you're dealing with the string height, and then your intonation. No matter how much you mathematically yeah. calculate, yeah. it goes out the window if your string height is mm-hmm. like that. Because which mine is, is you is know, it? my action is insane. <laughs> but it's because I really like a lot of resistance on a guitar, and I'm trying to get myself used to not having that. To try to get right. a lighter touch, so I'm not working as hard. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, and but you can honestly you could tune this to anything. Like we strung it up with a set of tens, and it sounds great as a six string guitar because it just it's a great set of scale lengths for that. As a baritone, it's killer. Now, can it you set depends. it? You you guys have it set to where you can just have it one output and it's just a guitar. Yeah, That's yep, cool. You switch it and it can be just a guitar. It's That's totally, very cool. Yeah, chill. Uh, okay, man. So you have. Another, you've actually just released, well, not Sam, you and Sam's scenario have released yeah. a record, but you and Lucy have a record that we did in here last January. Yep, yep. That it was one of the, there's this weird COVID, there's this weird COVID blackout, you know, like yeah. from stuff that I did that was right up against the edge of it that I literally just did a thing last night with a, with a percussion ensemble that are recorded in here probably four weeks after you guys were oh, in Oh, really? Here, and they're just now releasing just it. Just now right. releasing it, yeah. And, and so there's this whole thing of, of records that were done, not just in here, but everywhere, that mm-hmm. are going to be released now because yeah. of you know everything kind of coming back online and you can do some you know you can you can do a little bit of at least promotion for it if you can't tour for it yeah you know and all that so talk to me about that record and your uh and like your your the the playing scenario that you have with lucy yeah well you know we had been on the road for a couple years and most of it was with Doug Belote, great drummer who was here. Uh, and then uh, Miwi La Lupa, incredible uh, bass trumpeter and singer. He also plays, I think, bass guitar with that guy, Connor Oberst. I think he plays, plays oh, with yeah. him. And uh, Miwi's just bad. And then Deshaun played on it as well, Deshaun Hickman, which, yep. which he's a great uh, local steel player um, in, in the sacred uh, steel tradition. Um, that my friends, uh, the Campbell brothers, are, are also obviously the elder statesmen of at this point. Um, and so, you know, we just were, all right, let's do what we were do, been doing on the road. Let's make this record. Um, and so we did. And then, you know, we had, Lucy and I had, had a lot of gigs that, like everyone else, just were canceled. Um, and it really changed the trajectory of everything because we're not 
I, I'm not going to go on the road doing that anymore because I realized like it just doesn't make any sense for me to physically yeah. haul my ass out on the road like we were talking about earlier and and um, doing it. So we just kind of came to the conclusion that, well, you know, let's see what happens. And Lucy is really the one who's doing all the heavy lifting with getting the record out there. Yeah. Uh, because she lives in um, Europe now. She lives in Rotterdam and she's just taken it upon herself really to do everything that needs to be done. So it's singles are going to start to come out in another month, I think, for the album. Um, and it's really good. It's a really great record, you know, yeah. but I just don't have the wherewithal to do that kind of touring anymore uh, behind like, you know, a my own project, even if it is a, a, a co-partnership uh, with, you know, someone like Lucy who totally pulls her weight on the road as well. You right. know what I mean? But oh, I, still, totally. I still just don't have that right now. Maybe in two or three years, I'll be able to get back to that. And I think I have like maybe 10 of my own gigs scheduled for all of 2021, which at this point is... I'm okay with you know. Now what what I mean? what, what what scenario will those gigs consist no of? No idea. No idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But they're just they're built under your name. Yeah, yeah. I'll find some people to play with. And I got. We'll play you. some songs and it'll be so. Fun. So it's funny because I look back like if you go look for like a new Charlie Hunter record, it's like a, a lot of what you do is collaboration. Yeah. You know, and a lot of what you've recently done is collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's not just your name. It's not just Charlie Hunter and here's the new Charlie Hunter record. But right. I didn't even really think about this ahead of time. But when will we see a new Charlie Hunter record just under your name? Well, I put one out, this patent and percussion thing I did in my own. Oh, right, shed. right, 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 right. Uh, That's but, right. Uh but honestly. It's going to be, oh, you know what? No, actually, there's one coming out May 31st. I did a record with my then band with George Slepik on drums and Michael Blake on saxophones. Yes. We did a thing in Memphis at this Memphis Music Mansion. We never released it. This is like going almost four years ago. Never released it because we ate some food the night before and all of us got salmonella. No. We were sick as dogs and we recorded it. But I have it all mastered, mixed, and it's going to be coming out May 31st. Okay. On like the streaming. I'm not putting out uh, vinyl or CDs or any hard uh, copies because it's just, again, it's impo it's impossible. You got a tour to sell them. Yeah, you got a tour to sell them. And even then, you're you're still uh, oftentimes find yourself coming out of pocket. I mean, I... And looking at the industry, were you guys just doing as far as physical merchandise? Because it's so funny, man. Yeah. Because it's like we have a couple of new vehicles in my family that don't have CD players. Mm -hmm. And so you get to the point where it's like, it's funny because vinyl is that... Vinyl is like the... Is, does that seem to be the only physical thing that you guys would take out on the road to sell? I mean, besides t-shirts, but At music. this point, yeah, um, which is interesting. I mean, that's what we grew up buying, vinyl. And, it's crazy. Um, and it, it's a thing. I mean, the thing about vinyl, especially for our kids' generation, is it's permanence. It denotes permanence, and it denotes a continuum and a connection to them with previous generations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially if they like the old music, like for instance, my daughter, I bought, she's 18. I bought her a little all in kind of self-contained record player. I did thing. the same thing with Abraham. And I gave her all of my old records, my mom's old records. So she's got this really cool collection of records. And, That's and cool. I was just like, I want to see what happens, you know, cause she's not like a really oh, super technical person. 
Um, but she just immediately took to it. Every night she's just putting on records, you know? It's a different experience. It's and a I totally think, different experience yeah. to put it on and to, like I say, both my boys have turntables. Now I say turntables, same thing, yeah. self-contained yeah, yeah. to where if you want to, you know, if you want to hook up an external speaker, you can, you but can. you flip the top and it's like the old record players, yeah. you know, when yeah. we were kids, they have a handle on them like a suitcase. Yeah. And, but the crazy thing is the vinyl now the vinyl now will sell and have no problem with a brand new release, twenty nine dollars. I think the record player costs like seventy bucks. Exactly, it can. Right? Those ruin your records, though. Apparently, what I've heard, the cartridges on those are kind of rough on oh, on yeah. records. But, yeah. but yeah, it's an expensive um, process. It's yeah. a, it's like an early twentieth century process too. You know, yeah, I mean, man. It's not, I mean, uh, you know, well, I think really. Those 78s were different. I think this vinyl process goes back to the 1940s, but uh, I may be wrong about that. But yeah, it's it's very resource intensive. Oh yeah, you know. Um, and the, like I know with my kids, with the mechanics of it, it's pretty cool because little things from when I was a kid listening to records on you know whatever you know stereo we had or whatever. Yeah. And the things like they would turn the volume down and then, you know, you can, if you put your ear up to it, you can still hear the yeah, sound coming out of the exactly. groove with the needle on it. Yeah. You know, and just seeing, like just seeing my kids, you know, seeing my son go, can you hear that? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, I already yeah, know yeah. that. I experienced that when I was exactly. younger than yeah, him, but yeah, seeing yeah. that all kind yeah. of happen again, is kind of like, that's eh, kind of cool. You know, yeah, it's very yeah. cool. It's very cool to watch him, you know, to watch him do that. But vinyl is a, vinyl is a thing again. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, there's, you know, I had to figure out a way during this pandemic, like I have to figure out what to do with these three or 4,000 CDs that I have oh, of all the different bands, all the different things. It's mm -hmm. like, I have to find someone so they don't just end up in a dump, but they'll probably just end up in a dump, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't think they can be recycled on, uh, you know, luckily most of them were digipack so not jewel cases you're not dealing with that kind of horrible waste right like know. plastic and stuff yeah, like that, yeah but um but yeah man and again it was just uh now we're at this vinyl and vinyl uh, you know is really a great medium it does a thing it does a real specific thing to the music that our ears really like you know yeah, but man. and that there's the experience but being a musician and having to deal with carrying boxes of vinyl in and out of your oh. car and and it's a lot of work to get it made as a sing as a singular entity. When if you're a record company or whatever, then you're fine. That's what you're doing. But for the independent people, it's it's you know it's tricky. So I think we may just be down to selling T-shirts, which I've never sold anyway because I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of putting my name on a T-shirt and having somebody else wear it. It seems absurd. I just find it absurd. Laughing. I mean, I like the concept of like a band name or something. The fact yeah. that you're standing here with like three cameras around yeah. you now is kind of like it's funny to me because I'm like I know that's just not oh yeah. you you being cool. like hey let's sell me that's uh, we're not just your talking. thing. Man. You know it's it's awesome you know, but i mean it, it's it just is weird like oh yeah you got a picture of this corny ass dude on your shirt this guy <laughs> like yeah okay <laughs> dude that's hilarious man you know well is there anything else that you want to promote or talk about while you're here yeah the thing that i'm doing with darren uh now that we did oh, yeah, we yeah, recorded yeah, yeah. one of a couple of the things here we did a lot uh, we we did a lot of stuff for you to take 
to and, take and manipulate. And, so no but, telling where. Yeah, any, no. One it, of them is, is going to be one of his uh, singles, and we're we just put the first single up on to be. It's going to be released May fourteenth. Um, cool. And he's just really. It's been a pleasure, and he's writing great stuff, and it's. I'm super excited. And with all these stuff. things that we're talking about, I'm going to go back and post and try to put. You know. Okay. Great. Uh, try to put. Instagram handles of all the stuff okay. that you're working on, you know, so cool. they kind of flash up and I'm going to kind of figure out how to, how to do all that right stuff, on. you know, when I get into video right post-production land, right which on, is a new man. thing for me, but you know, Hey, Hey, so Fuck you in for um, a penny, you're in for a pound motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Totally. That's exactly right. And I'm going to, and today I told Charlie to bring a piece of gear and he brought his hockey. Yeah. So today I'm going to pimp these Stedman pop screens because they have gotten me through the pandemic series. Those are killer. Yeah. Uh, you gave me one of those too. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And the I crazy thing about them is if you look at them, they're all totally, let's go like this. They're all totally like they're, they're metal, but they're plastic coated. What, you know, what's not metal is plastic coated. And I have put these on every mic that I have had to cut vocals on yeah. during this COVID thing. And you just pour hot water over it to sterilize it. Yeah, dude. I can yep. wash it under the sink. Yeah. I can yeah. I can put alcohol on it. I can do anything I want. And this is one of the ones I've been using for almost a year now. Thanks to Stedman. They were very cool. And, and you, so, can, you can kill flies with it, too. You totally can. Yeah. Or play a little squash. It's <laughs> badminton. <laughs> badminton. Yeah. So... That is the one thing today. I'm going to ask everyone to bring one thing with them right on. each time that they come in. And so uh, Charlie has his just very dope, cool guitar that you can see him playing right there. And that is Hybrid Guitars. And I want to say it's just hybridguitars.com, hybrid-guitars. Yeah. If you just yeah. just get on the Googles and type hybrid in guitars. hybrid guitars, yeah. and that's yeah. literally, it is a hybrid guitar, but that is also the yeah. brand of the guitar. Yeah. So if anyone is interested in those, and what is your website? Just charliehunter.com. Charliehunter.com. But don't go there. But don't go there. No, because <laughs> I, you would hate to see a picture of him. There's Read a, a book. Read, Read a, a book. <laughs> Read a book. So thanks to you guys for watching. Thank you. Thank you to Charlie. See, what did I tell you? Told you it was going to be a cool episode, right? Cool and super, super groovy. You know why? Because this is Conversations in Groove. Check it out on our Earth Tones official YouTube channel and on all of your podcast apps. I'm Benji Johnson. I am your host, and I will be your host every week for Conversations in Groove live right here from Earth Tones Recording Studio.